Welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. Presented by the News Press and Naples Daily News. One, two, three. Hello and welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. I am Justin Levy, joined by Alex Martin and Dan DeLuca. Dan, who is fresh off a big win by his Eagles that uh, he attended last night. Dan, how was the game? It was great. We got a little uh, wet at times, but nothing to drive you inside. It, it was really like being back in Philadelphia for a home game. A lot of Eagles fans there, very supportive as usual, and a good time. You can't, can't complain with a win, so I'll take it. There was a lot of Kelly Green out there in the stands I saw. Definitely. So uh, we continue on with our roaming studio uh, as the AC in our office is not yet fixed. But big thanks to WGCU for giving us a room. And big thanks to our producer Jonah for stepping in today for Amanda. And let's dive right into the action. Starting with a big milestone win by Fort Myers. Dan, what, what can you tell us about that one? Yeah, beat Charlotte 44-18, to got their 700th win one week later than they would have liked to. They had a real chance to knock off Dunbar, ended up losing 40-39, double overtime the previous week. But it was it was really fitting, if you talk about milestone wins, for it to be against Charlotte. It was the 68th meeting all-time between the two schools. That's the most that Fort Myers has played any single opponent. With a win Friday, it's the 44th win for Fort Myers over Charlotte. That's the most they've beaten any opponent. So for the Tarpons, to be the one to get the 700 it really kind of kind of fit it was also hall of fame night at charlotte so binky waldrop the longtime tarpons football coach was inducted into the hall of fame had a lot of memorable meetings with fort myers and sam siriani senior and junior over the years so there was a a familiar atmosphere there they're they're bitter rivals they're fierce rivals but there's a lot of respect between the two communities also so all in all it was just a really really good night and then we had some interesting contests going on in Collier County last night. Alex, uh, what were your main takeaways? Main takeaways, number one, Golden Gate is really good. That front seven, again, proved why it's arguably the best locally. You know, Gulf Coast couldn't get anything going in this one, 35-7 decision. Gulf Coast had three bad snaps that basically resulted in negative 35 rushing yards. Golden Gate held them with those stats included to 20 yards rushing. Second straight game that they've held an opponent below 40. I mean, Gulf Coast is just not, they're not a team that's designed to throw the ball like they have in recent years with the air raid spread. You know, no Connor Barrett, you know, he's gone now. Um, They're just not designed to play from behind. And Golden Gate, a little more dynamic offensively. Trayvon Jean, Javon Prey, John Leonorat. I mean, they got the pieces on the offensive side of the ball to either run or, or beat you over the top. So. Um, you know, not really a surprising result. I thought it'd be a little bit closer, but all in all, Golden Gate right now is our best team in Collier County. Well, there's an undefeated team in Collier County that might have something to say about that. What were your thoughts on Baron Collier coming out on top against Immokalee? Gritty win. First off, you know, that's it. going to inland to Gary Bates Stadium is a tough place to play to begin with. And, you know, Nico Boyce did Nico Boyce things, accounted for all four touchdowns in this one, threw for 200-plus yards on just eight completions, uh, and ran for another 100 and three touchdowns. You know, it was a, a pretty impressive result from him, and, you know, that's big going into this week. You know, he needed some sort of a performance to build off of. 
and now he's got one. Uh, and he's hopes to take that into Naples, which is basically going to be a revenge game for him, having played there last year. And Barron's going to try to go for their first win over the Golden Eagles this century. And I was over at Jeff Summer Stadium as Astero took on Cape Coral last year. This was a 3 nothing win for the Wildcats. And last Friday, it was a 38 nothing win for the Wildcats. Um, it, it was still kind of a defensive battle for, for most of it. It was 7 nothing until Astero was able to kind of put together a nice two-minute drill to go up two scores before the end of the half. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. And, you know, we talk a lot about their lack of numbers over at Astero, but I, I think we don't talk enough about how the players that they do have are extremely underrated. Matt Wilson had probably the best game I, I'd seen from him. Malik Allen had a great night running the ball. Luke Gannam is always making plays on both sides of the ball. Now, yeah, a really commendable performance for Darren Nelson and his group. Yeah, I mean, and Nestero is a team that, you know, coming off that 40-7 to loss, I mean, Darren Nelson kind of told me, it, it, like, this is this early point's a big stretch in our season. We need to, you know, right the ship, and we need to get back to our winning ways, and sure enough, that was the case. Um, Nestero ran a lot of positive plays. I don't think there were many behind the line of scrimmage where they were stuffed. And just staying ahead of the chains, really, I mean, just kind of moving the ball methodically. You kind of mentioned, you know, in a conversation with me yesterday, I mean, they were just moving the ball especially in the second half is kind of when the dam broke for Cape and, you know, Estero definitely exploited that and, and, you know, came away with a running clock win. Yeah. And, you know, defensively they forced two turnovers and on the defensive side, they've been playing well since the first Baptist game in week one. Dan, were there any other results that stood out to you? Uh, well, I just want to correct, congratulate uh, Riverdale and Kendall Gibson for getting their first win. Beat Cypress Lake 43-29. The running game really got going with Cole Hayes against the Panthers. And uh, Riverdale hasn't shown it can it can throw the ball with any consistency yet, but they, they have been able to run the ball pretty much pretty much every week. So it, it's good. Anytime a coach can get their first win, kind of get the program, get a little bit momentum behind it, it's good. So congrats to Riverdale. Well, i got to one-up you here, Dan. How about Marco Island getting their first win in seven, close to seven years? You know, last win was 2017. Uh, it was in October. Marco Island with a big 30, what was it, 32 to 20 win over Warner Christian. Shout out to Lou Montgomery down south getting his first win with the program. And just good to see, uh, you know, Marco get back in the win column. It was, uh, it was a long time. For perspective, I was a senior in high school that year. That's how long it's been. And, I, and I'm basically two years removed from college now. So, uh, you know, congrats to Marco. And, you know, let's see if they can build off of that. I also want to shout out Mariner with a 46-7 win over Benita Springs a week ago against Riverdale. Noah Tolbert threw for four touchdown passes. And uh, this past week, Justin Lewis threw five for a school record and also returned a punt for a touchdown the tritons are still undefeated and especially on offense they are looking really nice can we also give us you know can, maybe not a shout out but maybe talk about you mentioned surprising results you know i kind of i kind of look at the first baptist score and i'm a little bit surprised here true north comes into this game with a negative 36.2 strength of schedule granted they were blowing their opponents out which is kind of expected that we were getting some intel from within the network here that you know, True North's a good team, and they're kind of an up-and-coming team. They're younger, obviously, with a with a freshman quarterback, a freshman running back, sophomore receiver. But True North goes on the road and beats First Baptist twenty-one to eight. No Sam Sparacio again in this one. No Winston Watkins because he's got to wait six days. He'll make his debut this week. I, I don't know what to make of 
First Baptist right now, the third straight game where they just haven't been able to establish a ground game, and it's they're basically one-dimensional right now. I, I just don't know where this team is at right now midseason, and, and it just gets tougher this week. I mean, they got Golden Gate, and if they lose that game, they're under 500 at pretty much at the halfway point. So I, it should be one of those interesting weeks because, I mean, I think at this point, is going to be back. Winston Watkins will make an impact to a degree in the offense. It just makes you wonder when they're going to kind of return to that balance that we saw last year with Jaden Booker and maybe on occasion Rich Million in the backfield if things got a little dicey. And you're talking about Sam Sparacio returning from injury. Yeah. So we are going to get into that game and more after the break. But first, we are going to hand out some midseason awards. So stay tuned. Let's go! Keep up with the action every week by following our live Friday night scoreboard at NaplesNews.com, News-Press.com, and by downloading the Naples Daily News and News Press apps onto your mobile devices. Welcome back. We thought it would be a good time about the midway point through the season to hand out some awards. They're meaningless, but, you know, we thought it'd be fun. First off, I don't know how much discussion this is going to prompt, but Offensive Player of the Year. Alex, I know you're chomping at the bit. Carter Smith, next question. Um, (laughs) You know, through four games, he leads the area in total touchdowns. He's got 19 total touchdowns through four games right now, and if he had a fifth, if we'd be talking about a 5-0 and over row team that would have put 30-plus points up on the board uh, in that game, he'd probably have even more. So, I mean, it's just, you know, he's a quarterback unlike anything we've seen as of late. I think, you know, the last really good quarterback, especially for him being able to build up to the way he has been, has been Dallas Crawford. You know, Kurt, Ben Kurt obviously comes to mind, but he was only here his junior and senior seasons. So, I, you know, Carter Smith is – you know, he hasn't turned the ball over either in terms of throwing interceptions. Pretty, He's got an 11-0 touchdown-interception ratio right now. I mean, he's rushed for eight on the ground. It's just he's, – he's just so dynamic in so many ways. And I mean, he's spreading the ball out, too, when he throws the ball. I mean, there's no receiver on the Vero offense that really, like, jumps off the page for, you know, that, that you're looking at to guaranteed 100 yards a game. It's, it's relatively a balanced split. And you know, I think they're just going to keep doing that moving forward, and they're going to keep succeeding at it. Yeah, I've said it before. There's no doubt that Carter Smith is the best player in Southwest Florida right now. But if you had to throw out another name for this question, Dan, who would you throw out? Well, I'd look at Mariner, and I'd look at Justin Lewis. I mean, Mariner's off to a 5-0 start. I know we've talked about you know some of the quality of their competition, but they are unbeaten. As far back as I can look, it's the best start that Mariner's ever had to a season. I mean, I have to go back and research you know some of the Joe Rolls era to see if they've ever been 5-0, and but it's a great start for them for a program that's sort of been building up. And if you look at Justin Lewis, I mean, he's just really been able to do everything for them you know, as a receiver, quarterback last week throwing five touchdown passes. He's a threat to take it any time to the house in the return game. And, you know, for an unbeaten team, he, he's been their most dynamic player. So I think he deserves mention. Another name that I want to mention, uh, just given how deep that Dunbar receiving core is, is Eric Fletcher. 23 catches for 463 yards and eight touchdowns. He's averaging 20 yards a catch, 92 yards a game. And it's, so much is about what he does after the catch that's really impressive. And it, it's just, as I said, really impressive given 
Dunbar has a lot of threats at receiver, but he is kind of the security blanket for, for Austin Price through this point in the season. And you got to give Price credit. He's one of two quarterbacks over a thousand yards passing right now. I mean, the quarterback room is so deep. You know, we we often overlook maybe the second or third best quarterbacks yes. in the area. Price being one of them, along with Tanner Helton, who, granted, you know they're they're throwing the ball like crazy in that offense, and it doesn't matter if they're they're winning or they're losing. I mean, he's got twelve hundred yards. You know, he's leading the area in passing to this point. He's got a decent little receiving core, to be quite frank. I mean, it's a good group for the 1S level. So, I, you know, those are two quarterbacks that I kind of look at. Nico Boyce is another who gives Barron a dynamic piece throwing and running the football. You know, the quarterback rooms is so deep that we don't, you know, we look at Carter Smith and it's just crazy how far ahead he is compared to the rest of the field. But there's some, there's some talented quarterbacks alongside him as well. Now I wanted to take a look at uh, the defensive side of the ball for Defensive Player of the Year. I will start on this one. Kari Bendolf for Naples. He's our sack leader right now with 11 sacks. He, he's just a beast. Like I saw him in the Golden Gate game, even though they didn't come away with the win there. He was just all over the field. Really impl- impressive player. Uh, Alex, do you have a name? Well, first off, those are legitimate sacks, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I was there. I saw him. Good. Six sacks, I think, in that one. I mean, you know, Naples, def- Naples has churned out defensive linemen just like they do running backs. They always find a way to get to the backfield. You know, I kind of look at you know a guy like Micah Philsamey yes. at, at Golden Gate. Doesn't jump off the page in terms of like tackles and whatnot. 36 tackles, but he's got 13 for loss. And then he's got a total of six sacks on the year and eight hurries. Kind of a, a pretty balanced you know, spread there, you know, looking at him. I, I really think he's up for, you know, player of the year, or he could be at the end of the year. Kensley Faustin, just by default, teams aren't going to test him. You know, he base effectively takes away half the field, you know, even though he does play safety here and there. I think he's got to be in the conversation if we're talking call your county guys. And, you know, uh, Bishop Rose got a couple of guys too. So, I mean, it's, it, this, you know, defensive player of the year, I mean, I think it's up for grabs at this point. It could really there's there's a pool out there of about maybe a dozen or so players, and at this point, I think it could be anybody. Well, I'm stay in the West Zone, and you know you're talking about a team in North Fort Myers that that's 0 and 4, off to uh, you know one of their worst starts, and as far as I can remember, and it's not because of their defense though, and uh, certainly not because of Adrian Stone. I, I mean he's making an impact every week. He's someone that opposing defensive or offensive coordinators have to find a way to scheme for, take out of the game. I mean, he's got, he's got 34 tackles this year, nine tackles for loss. I mean, he's just a force in the backfield, four sacks. He's somebody that can wreck a game. And unfortunately, it hasn't resulted in a win yet for North, but it, it, it's not because of of him. I mean, I'm not sure how much more he can do, but he's 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 a player and, and I you know, he really kinda broke through I, I thought last year, really kinda got out there and he's I think he's having just as good a season this year. Alex, you mentioned the Vero defense and it feels like they've kind of improved in so many areas it's hard to pick one guy, but there's definitely a few guys who have put themselves in contention. Yeah, I mean I look at Parker Turner, probably arguably the best cover linebacker that that I've seen this year, you know, really good with his six three six four frame can cover out wide, can help and run support. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't make those explosive plays. You know, he's only got like a tackle and a half for loss. 
but he's doing well. I mean, he's got a pick. He's got a fumble recovery, so he can kind of do a little bit of everything for them. I also look at Ryan Peterson. They call him the one-armed bandit over at Bishop Burrow. He's got 26 tackles on the year, 7.5 for loss, and he leads the team with 4.5 sacks, and he's got 19 hurries. Pretty inspiring story there, just given the circumstance of you know, only having one hand. And, you know, I think he's really, you know, the defensive line for Vero, you know, they, they heard about, you know, that they couldn't stop the run last year. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't do this. They've just, they, they've turned it around. And, and, you know, Peterson has played a big role in that. Parker Turner's played a big role in that. Eddie Nolan, um, I can go on and on. But they just, they're just so consistent at every position, especially in the front seven that it's just you kind of mentioned it's hard to pick one yeah um, and, and ryan gadson and, and yeah. leroy roker in the secondary yeah, it's, it's it, definitely a step up for it, this group and i mean leroy's got two picks he's got a fumble recovery he took the kick opening kickoff last week 87 yards to the crib you know gadson returned to punt for a touchdown i mean they there's they're just dynamic in so many ways especially the dbs too so it's it's just everybody making an impact i think is scary for opposing offenses because you can't really exploit much on their defensive side. I also wanted to shout out Bradley Martino with Golden Gate, Michael McDonald with South Fort Myers, our interception leader, two players that have definitely stood out uh, in the early goings of this year. Moving on to best game, and I'm going to turn to Dan DeLuca on this one to talk about what he saw a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I didn't get the chance to talk about this last week, but Dunbar 40, Fort Myers 39 in double overtime. Definitely one of the top three games I've seen all time since I've been doing this. Really just a a fun game. And, you know, you look at the matchup ahead of time and you say, you know, Dunbar, Fort Myers, something crazy is going to happen. It's going to come down to the last second. And, you know, in the first half, it was like 7-3 to three at halftime. Fort Myers had like 50 yards of offense. It just looked like a boring a boring game. Dunbar scores to start the, you know, second half, goes up. But then, like, weird things start happening. Uh, uh, Jaden German, there's like a sort of a lateral pass, you know, that Dunbar throws. He's able to scoop it up. He goes for a touchdown. That brings Fort Myers kind of back in the game. Dunbar goes out again. And then Madrid Tucker, I mean, a kid is just special. A little bit of controversy because you always need that in a Fort Myers-Dunbar game. He kind of, you know, the officials say his knee didn't touch the ground. It was kind of like kind of a sprint out wide, and he kind of rolls over the tackler. And I was able to get video that I think clearly shows his knee is on the ground. Some Fort Myers people disagree. But it's one of those calls where if you make that as an official, nobody's going to get on you for saying his knee hit the ground because it looks like it does. But if it if you make the call that it doesn't, then it needs to be pretty clear, and I don't think it was clear. But anyway... You know, that uh, is the controversy for the game. That serves as, a, you know, the, the talking point for Dunbar, who sometimes doesn't, don't think they get a fair shake from the officials. And then we go into overtime, and you mentioned Eric Fletcher earlier. Fort Myers scores first, go up by seven. Dunbar on fourth down. Fletcher is able to haul in a touchdown pass from Austin Price, end up tying the game. Fort Myers could have won it, had an extra point blocked, uh, and then Dunbar is able to pull it out, you know, at, at the end uh, with T.J. Abrams catching uh, a two-point conversion to kind of give Dunbar the win. I mean, just just a, a, an amazing game, fantastic game 
one that I know is going to stick in uh, Fort Myers Croft for a long time because they, they take special teams so seriously there. And, you know, to kind of lose it on, on a blocked extra point. They also had an extra point blocked or a field goal blocked against Charlotte. So that's definitely something um, that I know Sammy's going to want to look at this year. Um, but uh, just, yeah, one, one I'll never forget. Yeah, and I don't think any game is topping that maybe for the season. But, Alex, what is the best game that you saw this year? I mean, I, I actually did the math on this. I think the average margin in every game that I've been to this year has been somewhere around 30 to 33 points. So I haven't really seen much of competitive games. Like, I could run through it. First game I was at this year, Stero FBA, that was a 33-point margin. Golden Gate Immokalee, 32-point margin. Naples Immokalee, 16-point margin. That was my closest game this year. And then week four, that was First Baptist Faro, 49 to 22. And then uh, the last game this past week, 35 7. I haven't really seen, you know, I've seen great offenses put up points, but, you know, I haven't really, uh, I haven't seen a competitive game. And I, and I hope that changes this week. So teams beware if Alex is sent to your sidelines, it might be a blowout. <laughs> I, of yeah. course, have to mention the Golden Gate Naples game. It was not the prettiest game, but just the, kind of the emotions behind it. And uh, the Titans, you know, just played bolder in the big moments. I mean, that was really special to see. Our next topic of discussion, who would be our coach of the midway point of the season? I think you kind of got to look at Nick Bajika, right, just for building this thing into what it is now. You know, it's one of those teams that we were kind of, I'll admit, I was in wait-and-see mode, and that reflected in the rankings. We polled about 20 to 25 coaches privately, couple had them as high as four in the area a couple had them seven eight nine and then even unranked I was kind of in the middle there I was hovering around seven six seven eight didn't really know and sure enough you know they prove their prove why they're a top team in the area they move up to two in our rankings they've been two the set for two straight weeks and another chance to solidify it this Friday you know it's just what what he's built there and for them to f- it appears to finally get over the hump of, of hovering around 500 granted they don't have a second half collapse it is quite something and they're basically a couple wins away from you know securing a playoff berth so I think Nick Bajika is the one you got to look at yeah I definitely think uh, Bajika definitely with Golden Gate put together kind of the most signature statement win of the season so far but not too far from that is Bishop Rowe running clocking everyone uh, so you got to shout out Richie Road and what he's done with that group. Obviously, there were high expectations coming in, but we didn't expect them to be running clocking some of the best teams in the area. Not, not a bit, and they're 4-for-4 four four right now. I mean, they got a pretty legitimate chance to make it 5-for-5 five five against Key West. Look, when you look at teams that are going to be good, right, and it's hard to measure. Like, look, we knew Vero was going to be good this year. I think we all agree on that. To be basically 35 points better – or, you know, than everybody you play so far. And to ter- activate the running clock in each of those four games, I think we're looking at something special. And this team could probably go down as one of the greatest in Lee County history if they can, you know, get to a title game and perhaps even win it. It, it, it would be fitting if this is the team to win the first state title for Lee County just because of how much talent they've got and just the way they're winning games. I mean, it's the games they've played aren't close, and they've – you know, against First Baptist, they basically only showed up for a quarter and a half. They put up 33 points in that second quarter, and probably the best quarter of football I've ever seen just for them from an explosive standpoint. You know, the, they're number one for a reason. A couple coaches had them number one uh, in the preseason, and, you know, they were right. Dan, any other names that belong in the conversation? 
Well, I guess I'm going to be the Mariner guy for this podcast. But <laughs> I, I'm going to mention Josh Nicholson. I yeah. mean, I, I think it's sort of a throwback to how programs were sort of built in the past where, you know, you have a coach in his fourth year, first three years, you win a combined 10 games. You kind of have that class that you think is going to be able to come through for you when they're seniors and you're kind of patient with them, you know, um, you don't have a lot of movement sort of in and out. And now, you know, you got five games in this year, you have five wins, which matches, you know, their total for, for all of last year. So I, I think it's good to, you know, when a, when a coach is given the time to kind of build something. And so far for the first half of the season, they've been able to deliver on that. And I think uh, Mark Jackson, definitely in a, in a similar situation with the Cougars, with their start to the season, wanted to move on to Biggest surprise, and this can be either a team that's performed well or a team that has not met our expectations. Biggest surprise, North being just, you kind of look at North and just given the prior success that they had under Dwayne Mack, you couldn't really expect this, you know, being 0-4 and, and, you know, losing a couple heartbreakers, losing a couple one-score games, but yet again, you kind of have to understand that this team only has six seniors, so they're going to return a lot a lot of a veteran group granted two of those seniors are Bryce DeRoss and Andre Devine so I mean two valuable pieces um, that they're gonna have to replace but I kind of look at them Baron Collier they came out with you know they can't kind of came out with a vengeance this year they're they're on pace to basically hover around eight to nine wins assuming you know they win the games they're favored to win you know maybe maybe an upset here or there puts them at 10 and 0 or 9 and 1 you know, North Fort Myers not meeting expectations, and then Baron Collier, you know, in terms of the surprise this year, 5-0, and pretty solid defense, pretty good receiving core outside of Brody Graham now, which kind of say they didn't really have last year, not a consistent number two. They've got that now in Caden Hudson. You know, they're in a good place. Yeah, and I agree about North. I mean, but it still feels kind of harsh. They're, they're you know, obviously in trans- transition with a new head coach. And we, we wouldn't have expectations for other teams with the first-year head coach, but it's kind of that North tradition that, you know, we thought, oh, they'd be fine. But still, even even with the 0-4 start, I still think kind of think of them as co-favorites for the district. And it's going to be interesting to see how they play when district starts up this week. Dan, any surprises so far this season for you? Well, I, I'd say kind of thought – this would be a good season for Golden Gate, but to, you know, it's sort of like you have to see it to believe it. And for them to beat Naples at Naples, which is not something that happens, uh, you know, all that often, I, I think was really, really impressive. And, and, and it is a little bit of a surprise just to actually see it happen. And I think more impressive is the way they handle Gulf Coast the next week because Gulf Coast is a tough team, good defense. And if there's ever time for a letdown, you know, finally, you know, sort of slaying the dragon that you had your eye on for so long, it'd be a perfect time for a letdown against a team that plays really tough defense. And no letdown for Golden Gate. So I, I definitely think that they're there for real. And I was going to say, like, look, you talked about Naples. You know, Nick Bajika told Ed Reed and I at Media Day, he told you, Naples has been the bar in Collier County for years. And they've, they've basically been looking at that game. And Dan's right. You know, it could have been a letdown. Um, you know, but being at that game, you know, Golden Gate kind of pounced on them early, went up 7 nothing, went up 10 nothing at the break, and then just uh, exploded in the third quarter and basically put them away. So I think that was an impressive – uh, job by the Titans and and you know that's why they're one of the top teams in the area and um, I, I just think this team you know if they keep doing what they're doing they might be able to surprise a lot of people. I also wanted to shout out LaBelle and Oasis both of those teams are off to four and one starts I don't think 
any of us expected that, but good for the Cowboys, good for the Sharks. Um, and, you know, it shows, you know, there's kind of teams kind of coming up around here, and that's, that's always nice to see. And uh, last kind of question for our midseason awards that I wanted to ask, uh, what is the best play that you saw so far this season? I mean, it's been Trayvon. Trayvon Jean has had two runs in two different games. Fortunately, Jonah's here to, you know, maybe agree with me, nod his head. But he had a run. Jonah is nodding. <laughs> he, he had a run against Immokalee that basically was Marshawn Lynch-esque. He threw a defender off of him. That was in week two. And then in week five, he's kind of running towards the Gulf Coast sideline. Gulf Coast appears to basically have him bottled up for about a three- or four-yard loss. He makes a total of not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven defenders miss in a vicinity of about five to ten yards. I mean, he breaks it for about a 25-yard gain. Uh, it's on my Twitter page. It was one of the, It was in the first quarter. It, it, it was one heck of a run. You know, those are the, probably the two best plays I've seen so far just from low probability standpoint. You know, shouldn't be getting yards, and he just breaks off more than what he should have gotten there. But Trayvon Jean with two of the best runs I've seen this year. Dan, what about you? Uh, I'd say Eric Fletcher's punt return uh, for a touchdown against Fort Myers in fourth quarter, which seemed to put it away but didn't. Just a, a huge play at a time that Dunbar really needed it and just excellent you know, escapability on that play. Last week, Madrid Tucker catching a touchdown pass while lying on his back, kind of stumbled over to the defensive back, kept his eye on the ball, and, you know, was able to catch it. Uh, I mean, that I'd say uh, one play that almost was, uh, Andre Devine against South takes a punt re- return back for a touchdown, 90-plus yards. South goes down and scores. He takes the kickoff all the way down to the five-yard line, almost gets in. Uh, that, was a, that was a real great effort that, you know, allowed North to almost steal that game against South. Yeah, I, I had a few plays come to mind, but I'm just going to mention this one, which was the Greg Breston field goal with 45 seconds remaining in the Golden Gate Naples game. Just because the clock was running down, they had to run onto the field, and I did not expect them to <laughs> make it and make it so perfectly. And it was kind of that big moment on the Golden Gate sideline when they were like, "Oh, we're we're about to win this." So uh, that that was kind of the moment for me. So after the break, we are going to look ahead to week six and make our picks in some of these games. Stay tuned. For more in-depth analysis of high school football in Lee and Collier County each week, go to naplesnews.com and news-press.com. Let's just do it, okay? Follow us on Instagram at News Press Sports and NDN Prep Zone. we go! We are here. It is our final segment of the show. It is picks time. We went with the same 10 games uh, last week. We picked the exact same. We all went 9-1. and one. FBA disappointed all of us. Uh, we did not pick True North. True North won that game. So we will talk about records. Dan DeLuca still leads with a record of 42-8. and eight. I'm sitting one game back at 41-9. and nine. And Dustin sitting at 38-12. and 12. Uh, a little bit of ground to make up, but four games is doable, especially at this point in the year. Going to start it off here. Uh, the kids down on uh, Duval Street coming up to Fort Myers to take on Bishop Vero, Key West, uh, making the long trek. Don't know if they're taking the express or if they're taking a bus, but Dustin, your thoughts on this one? 
It's going to be a long ride home for them after another running clock fervor up, is my prediction. Uh, I will join you in that running clock. You know, it's Bishop Verreau will – this is probably a good game for them to, uh, you know, maybe install some stuff before Jesuit. You know, it will be a long ride home, and, and I imagine there will be a lot of coaches perhaps on the Key West staff waiting to get to Duval Street after this one. Dan? Yeah, Bishop Verreau wins. Game two on the slate, Eastley County headed to Fort Myers. Jags, you know, they showed some promise early. You know, that 41-7 decision in the South was maybe a little eye-opening for some. Dan, going to start it with you. Jags, Greenies, you've seen the Greenies last two weeks. You know, why are they in good position here? I think it could be an interesting game. Fort Myers has shown the ability to have some defensive lapses at time. I think uh, I think across the board, you know, they they should beat East Lee. I think they're better than East Lee, uh, especially on the lines, I think. But it's just a matter of uh, matter of motivation. Coming off tough loss to Dunbar, we're able to bounce back. But, you know, you get the big 7-hunt win at Charlotte. You're going home against a team that, you know, really hasn't been much of a problem for you in the past. So I think this one could maybe be a little closer than uh, people might think. But I think Fort Myers find a way in the end. Dustin? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned defensive lapses. If there's a team that can take advantage of that, it's the Jaguars. They have a lot of explosive players, Laz Rogers, Victor Georges. But I think Fort Myers has explosive players of their own. So I'll take the Greenies here. Yeah, I'm going to join you guys. Uh, Fort Myers, too good. You know, they are 3-2 and two on the year. They should move to 4-2 and two quite easily. I got the Greenies as well. Just too much, I think, to account for for East Lee, even though I think Laz Rogers might have a little bit of a good game here. I, I just think that Fort Myers will be able to exploit a matchup here and there. Maybe Alex Thalusma or Grant Coppins or maybe even Chris McFoley using his legs. Uh, going to go the Greenies. Game three, two teams that love to run the ball. Whaley headed to Bonita Springs. This is a district game, as was Eastley Fort Myers. I'll start it off here. Whaley did maybe a little shocking that they only put up 20 on Palmetto Ridge, but um, Nino Joseph ran for 260, 263 yards. I like the Trojans on the road. Bonita is just not designed to play from behind, and if Whaley is hypothetically playing from behind, they do have a good quarterback in Colin Raymond to make a throw here and there. I'm going to take Whaley. Dustin? Yeah, I'm going to take the Trojans as well outside of their win against Ida Baker. The Bull Sharks have not been able to score more than seven points, so I I like the Laley here. Dan? Yep, three for three. I'm going Laley as well. Yeah, Uh, Nugget in this one in their last 14 games dating back to last year. Benita has allowed 40 or more points in half of those seven games. Uh, I just think defensively uh, Laley will be able to find a few things. Game four on the slate, Lakeland Christian headed to ECS. This is a battle of 1S programs, different regions. You know, ECS looking to kind of, I guess, kind of get off the schneid here and, and kind of return to their winning ways. Dustin, uh, your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm going to take Lakeland Christian here. Not as confident as, you know, I might have been a year or so ago, but, you know, because the ECS has really kind of taken that next step in their program. But the Vikings are a pretty tough task. Dan? Yeah, I agree. I, I think Lake, Lake, Lakeland Christian. Uh, I think it'll be a you know I think it'll be a good game. I, I I just think they've got just just a little more right now than ECS. So I'm gonna go with them. Offensively, you know ECS has been interesting. I you know they can score, um, but their defense is also suspect against good programs. Lakeland Christian being one of them. 37 points allowed to Mooney. 62 allowed to IMG White. It kind of is more of a toss up game. I could see this one going either way but I'm going to go with Lakeland Christian as well. I just think 
you know, they might be able to nab a home win here, or win on the road, rather. Game five on the slate, district contest, West uh, West Zone contest, Island Coast headed to Mariner. Dan, you're the Mariner guy, so you get to go first here. Well, uh, I guess I have to pick Mariner, right? Yeah, uh, well, you could. I, I mean, they, uh, you know, it, it's another sort of game that they – they should win home game. I think they will. Uh, they have bye next week, and then they're going to have a you know big game with North Fort Myers after that. So I, I think Mariner will head into the bye six and zero. They'll beat Island Coast. I like Mariner too. They they should move to six and zero here. Even though rivalry games could get a little sloppy, and maybe that opens the door for Island Coast to maybe pick one off. Mariner's just too complete. I don't care whether it's Noah Tolbert or Justin Lewis quarterbacking them. They will find a way to score. Dustin, Mariner, perfect. Lehigh. Headed to Ida Baker, staying in the Cape. Someone, This is the someone's got to win bowl. Bulldogs haven't yet won a game. They've basically been blown out in every game they've played. Lehigh, you know, scoring points against some pretty good teams, but, you know, allowing too much to, to overcome. You know, I think this is an easy pick. Lehigh will get their first win under Antoine Dixon in week six, uh, and that will be the start of, uh, you know, their district title uh, hopes. Dan. Yeah, and the good news for Lehigh is the schedule really starts to lighten up now. They, they had a really tough start. I, I mean, the game with Vero ended up being a forfeit, but the first four opponents combined are 14-4. and four. Two of those losses somehow were by Tampa Catholic, who's just a really good team. They, they put it on Lehigh, who's had a bye to kind of recover from that. I think Lehigh wins. Dustin? Yeah, I, I like the Lightning, and as you mentioned, they're still putting up points in some of these losses. I think Dorian Mallory and, and Terrence Smith Jr. deserve mention. Uh, they they played well to start the season, and I think that's going to be enough for the win over Baker. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to get deterred in terms of confidence level, especially with the start that they've had. And, you know, James Chaney, former head coach, you know, an 0-4 start would feel you know, next, you know, impossible with him leading the team. Um, but... No, they should be able to get right uh, in the second half, and it should be a good one for them. Game number seven on the slate, Cape Coral headed to North Fort Myers. you got a Cape team, 4-1, and one, coming off a 38 nothing blowout loss, uh, headed to Moody Field to take on the Red Knights, seeking their first win. Dustin, circling it back to you. You saw the Seahawks last week. You know, Are they going to win this one, or is North going to get their first win of the year? I, I think the Red Knights have to be pretty kind of desperate for the win at this point, and I think they're going to get it. I just think defensively they're gonna be able to contain what cape is, is trying to do and i just think they have enough on offense to to make the difference here yeah uh cape coral you know sorry guys strength of schedule matters yes you are four and one but it is a sub at par four and one at best north fort myers will grab their first win here virgil malloy andre divine bryce Ross maybe being back for this one and that's just gonna be too much to overcome for Cape, and you know if North starts scoring points, you know Cape's not made to get into a shootout by any means. Um, you know that's why I like North at home, Dan. Yeah, I, th- I think this is the game where North Fort Myers defense doesn't just keep them in a game; it wins them a game. Cape, as their defense has has really kind of allowed them to win the, those four games, but I, I just don't see their line being able to block and hold up against North Fort Myers' defensive front. I think North will get a defensive touchdown or at least set up, you know, an easy offensive touchdown, and I think it'll be low scoring, but I think North will win. So far, seven games, seven agreements. I think this is the game where we might have the most chance for a split decision. Uh, South Fort Myers going to Immokalee to take on the Indians. I mean, flip a coin here. The computer said 28-27. 
I, I really don't know where to pick here, so I'm going to start with Dustin. Uh, Wolfpack or Indians? I'm going to go with the Wolfpack here. I've just been really impressed with what they've done defensively the first four weeks of the season. That's enough to you know make me think. This is going to be tough to, to get this win on the road, but especially out of a bye week, I, I like uh, Will Smay and company. Outside of you know that blowout to Golden Gate, I mean, Immokalee has hung around with Naples a little bit. They've hung around with Barron. I, I really, you know, it just depends on how I feel about this one. Um, but I think having the bye week and having an extra week to, to prepare for Immokalee is going to benefit South Fort Myers in the end. You know, even though Immokalee is, is desperate to, to get back to 500 at 3-3, three and three, it's just hard for me to see them picking up the win. I'm going to go with South. Dan? No, I agree. I, I think South, I, I like their defense a little bit better. And then, you know, if you need a play, Chase and Guida and Justin White, they've been able to deliver on it all year, and I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it again. So I think it'll be a good game, but I'm going to go with South. Remember early season results, they didn't. They were cut without a couple key players. They're back now. You know, I, I think South, that's going to benefit them in the long run. Game number nine on our slate could have qualified for game of the week any other week. Naples headed to Baron Collier, the Crosstown Showdown. Talk about a rivalry where the teams literally do not like each other. This is the one. Naples hasn't lost a Baron at all this century. I'll start it off here. Golden Eagles are just too good, I think, you know, especially with their pressure. I just don't think that Baron Collier will be able to stop the run, and I think we kind of saw a little bit of that in the Immokalee game where they gave up a couple uh, decent-sized runs to uh, Redwood. Dan? All right, well, we can't all pick the same games all the way through, right? Baron Collier's lost 25 in a row to Naples. Naples, you know, they've kind of had that chink in the armor this year. Golden Gate was able to get them at Staver Field. Baron Collier, you know, unbeaten. They've If Golden Gate has had the game circled, Baron Collier, I don't know, what's, what's bigger than a circle? Baron Collier has had this game in the crosshairs, let's say, for I don't know how long. They're at home. I, I think they're they're poised. I think they're ready. I think they'll put out their best effort, and I think somehow, some way, Baron Collier win this game. Wow, wow. Well, maybe we should send him to uh, to Collier County for this one. Dustin, you know you're gonna break the tie here. Uh, what's up? Which way are you leaning, home team or road team? Uh, well, we got a Nico Boys revenge game. Uh, I'm gonna go with Golden Eagles just because Dan mentioned you know Baron Collier is gonna be motivated. I think after dropping the game to Golden Gate, Naples is just, they, they're not going to want to lose this. So uh, I'm taking Naples on the road. I actually should mention two things. It is all it is not just a Nico Boyce revenge game. It is It could be a Sean Simeon revenge game. He was at Barron uh, earlier in his high school career. So both sides seeing each other's players against each other. And also referring to your comment about having a game circle. It's like the whiteboard. You just keep circling the game until the, you know, with a black Sharpie until it's uh, completely black. I think that's uh, Naples and, and, you know, that's Baron uh, against Naples in a nutshell. But our game of the week, you know, right now, the battle for Collier County. First Baptist headed to Golden Gate if FBA wins. They're going to have a transitive win over Naples. You know, and if Golden Gate wins, it just further, further cements their status as the best team with basically one game left to go after that. I'll make the pick here. Uh, Winston Watkins debut. Sam Sparacio, oh, we, we think, would be back at this point. I mean, he's, he's dressed, dressed out or dressed up for the last two games uh, but did not play in either of them. I think that Golden Gate will be able to get to Ethan Cross in a couple times. I think the D-line is legit, and I think this game will be won in the trenches. 
Golden Gate's just too big, you know, especially defensively. And I think we've kind of seen that the last two weeks. FBA's O-line has kind of been put under a spotlight as maybe a weakness on this team, you know, especially if Rowe kind of showed a few things. And um, Golden Gate's D-line is as good as any in the county. And in, in the area, I'm going to take Golden Gate, maybe more so on defensive effort here. But, you know, they can score too. And Trayvon Jean and Javon Prey and John Leonarod and Sam Powell, I think, could – you know, maybe get a couple of key scores here to put this one away late. Dan? No, I agree. Uh, if there was any point for a letdown for Golden Gate, it would have been last week against Gulf Coast. But, you know, I think you're able to get right back up again for a, a chance to go against Team in Cali and won a state championship last year. And I, I think if Golden Gate, this is a way for them to prove that, you know, so far to date, they're, they're the best team in Collier County. So you got to beat a state champion to kind of show that. And I think Golden Gate will do that. Dan, I mean, or Dustin, rather, sorry. Um, you know, is, do you think FBA is kind of going to go all in here and basically throw the book at Golden Gate? Yeah, I have some ground to make up, so I'm going to take the Lions. Win some walking, three touchdowns. If my mic wasn't in the stand, I'd be dropping it. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's a prop bet maybe. Three three touchdowns. Uh, that wraps it up. A couple differences there in the end. Someone could be a leader, a uh, new leader after this week. Maybe not. We'll see. Be sure to go to news-press.com slash sports and naplesnews.com slash sports for all your content. Uh, follow all of us on X at uh, MP underscore Alex Martin. Follow Dan DeLuca at News Press Dan and follow Dustin Levy at Dustin B. Levy. We'll have a lot of a lot of content between now and Friday uh, and over the weekend when our editor, Ed Reed, does game balls. We love our content here. Uh, we love covering it. It's a passion. So be sure to stay tuned to all that. And that was Season 6, Episode 7 of the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Remember, the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast will be available for download every Wednesday at noon to get you ready for upcoming games. One, two, three.